Look at verse 25 on the screen. Because they exchanged the truth of, of God for a lie and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So Romans 1.25 identifies the identity and activity of each person God created. They're created to be worshipers to worship God. But it also identifies that that we have rejected the worship of the creator for the worship of the creature. Whether you realize it or not, you are a worshiper. Each day, each thought, each word, each decision you make are decisions or thoughts or actions of worship. And you're either worshiping God, the creator, or you're worshiping the creature yourself. And so sometimes we think about worship as was what these guys were leading us to do up here. And that definitely is worship. We were all singing together and we were worshiping together. But worship actually is more than that. We worship when we, yes, sing, when we, yes, pray, but we worship each day throughout our day. And so we're going to look in Mark chapter 14 at two worshipers. One worshiped Christ, the creator. The other worshiped himself, the creature. Before we get into that, we have to talk about what is worship. What is worship? What does it actually mean to worship? And worship, this is my definition here. Worship is honoring God with all you are and all he gives. So if you have a bulletin, you can pull that out. That's a very important thing to write down this morning. What is worship? It's honoring God with all you are and all he gives. And that definition, you can see there are three components of worship. There's the description of worship. There's the object of worship and the resources of worship. So the description of of worship, there's honoring. It speaks to the idea that we give God his proper place as the most important. We respond to him with, with praise and with joy and with delight and obedience. Then the object of worship, worship should be God himself. Then the resources of worship are the things that God has given to us. It's, it's who you are. Like, it includes your mind and your words and your actions. And it's what God has given to you. It's your time. It's your possessions. It's your opportunities that the Lord gives to you. So Christ created us to, to honor him with all we are and all he has given to us. But we're going to see today that we have chosen to worship and honor the creature instead of the creator. And look at how God can, by his grace, change our hearts and our lives. Would you look at Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11? I'll read it aloud as you follow along. Mark 14, 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. 
and they scolded her. But she, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed and the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sold and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's pray. As we come to the word of God, Lord, we need the spirit of God to give us hearts that are humble, to give us um, understanding to the truth. And I think about maybe a person in here today that is without you. They have never turned to Christ, believed in him. And so, God, I pray today that you'll open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, again, we see Mark presenting two contrasts. One is a woman who worships Christ and is criticized by others. And the other is a man, and a man, and particularly a man, who worships himself and is thought well of by others, at least for a while. Mark 14 begins in the first few verses there, and it starts into the last really section of this gospel, and, and it's talking about Christ, death, and then his soon resurrection. So Mark 14, 1 foreshadows what's about to happen. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking to kill him. Then it starts with this story right here of Jesus and the house of Simon, the leper. During the Passover week, Jerusalem was packed with people. And so, and so in order to be able to uh, be able to go to Jerusalem, people would stay in uh, homes of relatives and friends outside of Jerusalem. So that's what we see here. Jesus was staying in Bethany. And if we look at verse 3, we can see that Jesus was hanging out with some people. Verse 3, he says, While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came. Now, who are these people right here? Verse 3 says Jesus was in the house of Simon the leper. Now, frankly, we don't know who Simon was. Pretty much all we know is that Jesus was in his house and he was a leper. But he probably wasn't a leper at this time. Probably means he was a former leper. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in the house, right? They'd kick him outside of the city. That's what they did with people that had diseases like that. So it probably means he was a, a former leper, which probably means what? What do you think a former, how does a former leper become a former leper? Probably Jesus healed him, right? So probably he's in the house of someone that he healed. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus was staying in Bethany in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Some people conclude that this might have been, Simon the leper might have been their father. And this could have been the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Now that's, you can't be dogmatic, that's speculation. But another thing that helps you maybe think this is, it's the identity of the woman. Now who is this woman here? Well, in Matthew and Mark, uh, the gospel writers just call her a woman. But John actually identifies this woman as Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. 
So as we read through the Gospel of John, we, we can actually get a, bit, a better picture of what was actually happening here in, in the Gospel of, of Mark chapter 14 in this story. And so what we see here is we see a table where Jesus is reclining. He's the guest of honor. He's in the, the house of Simon the host who was probably healed by Jesus. And then also with them are Lazarus. And, and here's a man who was just a few days before this was dead. Like really dead, rotting dead, you know, four days in the tomb dead. And his sisters whom Jesus comforted. But he had healed or he had resurrected Lazarus from the dead in, in front of many people. And they saw it. And so you think about all these people in this, at this meal right here. And, of course, the disciples were probably in there. We know at least Judas was in there and some, other, some others. What do you think they were talking about at that table? They had this fellowship in there with, here's a guy who was healed by Jesus. Here's someone who was raised from the dead by Jesus. Here's people who all witnessed it. Do you think they were talking about the Super Bowl? Okay. But you know, you know what are they talking about? You know, you kind of get with people sometimes and they talk about what's, what's most valuable to them, what they like the most, what they're enjoying the most, right? That's not bad to do that, right? But what do you think they valued the most at this moment? What do you think was the most important thing to them? I mean, pretty incredible what Jesus had done. I can imagine their conversation was about the Lord and what he was doing. And just really how amazing his work was on their behalf. So it makes sense that this, this Mary, this lady, this woman responds like this in worship. I mean, think of all the things Christ has done. It's like overwhelming. Like, I have to do something to say thank you to Jesus. And so that's what you see this, this lady doing. So, so worship, first and foremost, is, just, is actually a response to the goodness and to the greatness of God. So honoring God with all you are and all he gives, it means that you're responding to him based upon what he has done for you. Sorry, I went too fast there. Responding for all he has done for you. We recognize that, God, you have the rightful place as God. You are the most treasured possession. We ascribe praise to his name. And and honoring someone means that we ascribe to them the esteem that we think they deserve. Now, it was kind of odd last week. I was speaking about the Lakers in the message and I afterwards found out that Kobe Bryant had passed away during the message, or at least sometime that morning. I didn't know that. But you, if you watched the news this past week, you saw a lot of people honoring Kobe Bryant as a basketball player, as a father, or whatever, however they honored him. So we, we honor people that we think deserve that honor. Honoring God is the most important person we could honor. And honoring God is, is more than just throwing up a few words on social media, right? It means that we value him above all else with all we are. I mean, notice in verse 3, Mary's, Mary's worship of Christ. In verse 3, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and she poured it over his head. Now picture this scene. Everyone's sitting down on the ground, laying down on the ground, eating and drinking. Mary comes over, 
And she takes, takes this expense, expensive flask and she breaks it and she pours it over the head of Jesus. The, the gospel of John tells us that actually then she took her hair, she took the ointment and she began to wash his feet with her hair. I mean, what we have here is a woman who is worshiping Jesus. And notice the description of her worship. She here is worshiping as an act of humble service. Her worship was an act of humble service. And why did she pour ointment on his head? Why did she pour ointment on his feet and wash his feet with her hair? Well, she was doing what a servant would do. That was a Mediterranean climate, super hot, right? They didn't have air conditioning like we have. I don't know if air is on right now, but it feels pretty good in here. They didn't have a lot of water to take showers and baths. So you think about it. These people are dirty. They're sweaty. They're hot. So when you come into someone's house, how do you cool down? Well, what they would do is they would take oil and they'd pour it over people's heads. And that would be refreshing to them. They would take their feet and they would wash their feet. And they would refresh and clean their feet. I mean, that's, that's not really a job that most of us would want to pick, especially in a, in a culture like that where people don't take too many baths. So think about just the, the service that she had to Jesus in that way. Mary worshiped Jesus by humbly serving him. Why did she do that? Because Jesus had done so much for her. Her response, this was a response of worship to serve him in this way. The Gospel of John, like I said, says that she actually took her hair begin to, to wipe his feet, which is actually a very shocking thing to do if you're a first century Jewish woman. Remember, Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen that the glory of a woman is her hair. In the, in the Jewish culture, the head was the highest and most respected part of the body, and the feet were the lowest and the, 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 the dirtiest and lowest parts of the body. So here she anoints his head and honors that, And then she goes to his feet and takes her own hair, the glory of the woman. She washes his feet. What a a humble act of, of service. And that right there, my friends, that is worship. We think of worship sometimes, again, like I said, it's the people, the person that's standing up here and going, okay, let's praise the Lord together. And that, hey, that person is gathering us in worship. But listen, worship is is singing to Jesus, and it's also washing dirty feet for Jesus. Think about these guys that, that plan the music up here, some of them who practice and some of them who plan. And, and again, we think of this up here as worship. But you know what? Actually, it's worship as well when those guys are getting up early in the morning and starting to plan and practice. That's worship. Worship takes place when a Sunday school teacher, yes, teaches in these rooms here. And if you don't go to a class, you should. They're good lessons. But it also takes place when they get up at like 530 in the morning, they get their Bible out and they choose to sacrifice their sleep and maybe something else they could be doing, watching the news or something to study their Bible. They're worshiping Jesus by preparing to teach people. Worship is cleaning the bathrooms. It's getting coffee together like people do on Sunday mornings here. Worship takes place when when someone sees someone in the audience that doesn't have a friend, and they say, I'm going to love that person and love Jesus by sitting next to them. And they're choosing to worship in the service by actually going out of their way and making a friend and including someone else in their life. You know, right now we are in a worship service 
But there's, there's ladies down in a nursery, and they're worshiping Jesus too. They're worshiping Jesus by, by changing diapers. So that's worship. So when you go, if you have a child down there, you go down there and you see them, you say, thank you for worshiping Jesus this morning by changing those diapers. Worship is humble service. I'm not going to say this person's name. I'm not going to steal their reward in heaven. There's a person that came to us and said, I'd like to clean the kitchen. And so they came and for hours they cleaned, they washed ceilings and the stove and, uh, and it's, it was bad. I didn't even realize how bad it was. And there's been a group that's used it since, so it's my, it, doesn't, it didn't sparkle as it did once, but it looks really good. But the point is, is that this person said, I want to come and serve Jesus in this way without anybody knowing, like without any being asked. It was like, how can I worship Jesus? And that's what it was. It was it's worship of Jesus. And what I love at Lighthouse is that this, this is not uncommon. This is how many of you in here, if, I, if not like most people that I know in our church, this is how they live their life. We have a crew that feed food to people on Mondays and Thursdays in our, in our city that are needy. We have guys that come and clean up messes around the church. We have people who visit hospitals. We have ladies who, who wash people's clothes, who take meals to people, who visit shut-ins. I mean, this is how our church does. And th- but you know what that is? That's worship. That's worshiping Jesus. We're going out and we're worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to remember that when we lift our hands and sing, or when we pick up the trash and sing, both those are acts of worship to the Lord. Worship also is a sacrificial heart. It's a heart of sacrificial love. It's an offering of gratitude to God for what he has done. Mark goes above and beyond in verse 3 to make sure we understand how valuable this ointment was. Look in verse 3. He says, it was an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. The ointment is described as pure nard. Nard was an oil that was extracted from a root of an Indian herb. So this was imported. So that's expensive right there. And it was so expensive, it was put in a marble flask that had a small hole in the top so that when it was poured over, only drops would come out, wouldn't all pour out. And Mary took this nard. She actually broke the top off and poured the whole thing on to Jesus. That was extravagant worship. In fact, verse 4 tells us how expensive it was. We see that in the disciples criticizing her. Verse 4, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. According to the disciples, this ointment was worth 300 denarii. What? which is equal to one year's wage. Now, I looked up online. I thought, okay, what does the average American make? So this might not reflect you, but this is the average American in 2019 made $46,000. So let's just say that that represents $46,000 in America's money, okay? Can you imagine if someone were to blow, as the disciples thought it was, waste $46,000 in like five or 10 minutes? We would look at that and say, that's a waste. I can't believe that. But it's not a waste when it's used for Jesus. 
So consider Mary's sacrificial gift. I mean, think about Mary, right? She, she looked at what she had there and she actually decided to give that up for Christ. She believed Jesus was worth it. She sacrificed the most valuable thing she probably owned for the most valuable person to prepare him for the most valuable sacrifice. Think about that. She sacrificed the most valuable thing she probably owned for the most valuable person to prepare him for the most valuable sacrifice. That was his death and then his resurrection. And why? Because she loved Jesus. She was thankful for what Jesus had done. That was grateful love. Let's be clear. She didn't worship Jesus here because she was hoping to get something back from Jesus. That's how many people uh, approach God or even Jesus. A lot of Christians and I would say most religions, if not all religions, approach God that way. It's like, I'll give you this God and then you give me this in return. Much of American Christianity is that way. It's like, you know, if you do this for God, then God's got something good for you. That's not what actually worship is. That's actually the worship of yourself, right? Because it's like, God, I'm going to use you to, to really lift me up. And really, you're just a a self-worshipper in that example. That's not how Mary gave. Mary gave not to get. Mary gave because of what Jesus had given her. That's what worship is. It's saying, God, that's who you are. This is what you've given. Wow, I'm going to give back to you because you deserve it. And I'm so thankful. So this small gift of, you could say, $46,000 given And a matter of minutes in Thanksgiving was nothing compared to what Jesus gave her. I mean, think about what Jesus has done for us. We we minimize the, the person and work of Jesus Christ so many times, right? But if we truly were to grasp, as the song talked about, his love and built our love, our lives on the foundation that he loves us. He's done so much before time. He, he chose us in love. Wow, that's amazing to think about. It would change how we respond to him. The heart of a worshiper of God is a heart that sacrifices in love for the Lord. Whatever we do, whether it be worship in here, whether we worship out there, whatever we do, must be motivated by the love for God. So let me encourage us. When we're serving the Lord, remember, this is worship, and I'm doing it because I'm so thankful for what Jesus has done for me. And when we sing, let's sing out for him. You know, she was giving to the Lord right here sacrificially. And she had some people that were critical of her, didn't she? You know, when you worship the Lord by serving him humbly, there's many times people that are pointing the finger at you, you know, like, I can't believe he did it this way. You know, it's like, it's like you're doing something for Jesus and someone comes by and goes, ah, what are you doing that, that way for? And you're thinking, I mean, really in your heart, you're like, I'm doing this for the Lord. And it's kind of like, at that moment, you have to get, do a heart check. Wait, am, am I doing this so people like me and appreciate me? Or am I doing this because I love him? And that's when you really get tested if you really are worshiping Jesus or not. I think that can happen sometimes when we sing, right? We can sing out there and we can stand here. And sometimes people can be so consumed with what everyone thinks about them around them that they'll just be like frozen and don't even sing, right? But if you really like recognize who Jesus is, what he does for you, and you think about the words, like you won't care what people are 
thinking about around you. You're just going to be like, thank you, Jesus. And I just give you a little tip. If it helps you, maybe you should close your eyes. If you're really that concerned about everyone, but then you can't see the word. So maybe that's not very helpful. But, and, and the same thing, when you serve, make sure you're doing it for the Lord. People will be critical, but be all in for, for him. Notice the description of the worship of what we'll find out later is Judas and some of the disciples there. Look at verse four. It says they were, there were some who said to themselves indignantly. The word indignant there was actually used already in Mark chapter uh, 10, verse 41, when the disciples were criticizing John and James because they, were, they wanted to be the greatest. So they were all having this fight. So it means to be overcome with rage. So they, the disciples were fighting about that. And now they're fighting against someone who actually has a pure heart of worship. And they say, why was this ointment wasted like this? And look at the end of verse 5. It says they, they scolded her. This word scolded is, is a word that means to flare one's nostrils. So these disciples, they were they're pretty mad about this. Why? Well, they were so concerned about the poor, weren't they? Actually, the Bible tells us in John chapter 12 and verse 4, in a parallel passage, that the one leading this was Judas Iscariot. Look at verse 4 on the screen. It says, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray him. Of course, they didn't know that at the time. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So that's him speaking there. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help he used to help himself to what was put in it. So John's gospel proves that Judas led this conflict. And why? Because he was a greedy man. He wanted for himself. So, so the worship of Judas was a worship of himself. It's a worship of himself. And so if you describe his worship, it wasn't for humble service. It was for selfish gain. He, he was willing to hurt other people. And take from other people to get what he wanted. He was willing to be critical and scold and slander this lady because he had this raging, selfish heart. And his heart of worship came from a a heart of of raging lust. I mean, here's a man who was self-seeking. He was a man that was willing to put other people down to lift himself up. Here's a man who replaced himself with God. I think it's good for us to pause and we can be so critical of Judas, but I think it's actually really good for us to pause and recognize that people live their lives like Judas all around the world. It's called being a sinner. And sometimes we live our life like Judas. Like there there could be some of you in here that this this is how you live on a daily basis. You you criticize others for selfish gain. You, you use people, you twist situations like you're, it's always like a, a, that person is about how I can get something from them. And this is, there's nothing really more humanistic and idolatrous than that kind of self-worship. So you see these contrasts here of Mary who, who worships with humble service and Judas who, who worships with self-gain. What's the object of their worship? Well, Mary worshiped God, honored with all she was and all he gave her, but Judas worshiped himself. And so look down in verse number three, notice the object of Mary's worship. The very end of verse three, it says, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So you can see that very clearly. It was 
toward Jesus. In verse 6, Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. That worship was directed to Jesus. It's pretty obvious that that's the case. But even more than that, Jesus unveiled her motive there and that she was doing this act of service in a, in a, in a sincere way, in a heart that was pure. And you see that actually in verse 7. It says, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you, whenever, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. In other words, she's choosing to worship me now. You guys should, should do the same. And he, I don't think Jesus here was devaluing uh, helping the poor and helping those in need. I think actually this text shows the importance of ministering to those in need. But what Jesus taught here is that ministering or uh, honoring him is more important above everything else. Jesus here, again, is putting forth his supremacy as God. I mean, think about it. Think of someone and see me here. Maybe they were a director of some kind of nonprofit group to help the needy. And let's say you see on the news one night, this guy is standing in front of this huge mansion and there's a TV camera on him and he has the keys to a mansion in his hand. And and a reporter comes up and says, hey, uh, we heard that your, your charity gave you this multi-million dollar mansion and also gave you a multi-million dollar bonus and a brand new car. Let's say this guy looked back at the camera and he says, well, yeah, I deserve it. I mean, you're going to always have the poor people and see me, but you're not always going to have me. So go ahead and give me things like this right now. Now, do you realize that, that we would be offended by that, right? Because we're like, excuse me, no, you don't deserve it. But Jesus actually was saying that, like, I deserve this kind of worship. Now, how can anybody say something like that? You can't unless you're God, (laughs) right? Because he does deserve our worship and he deserves the glory. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He's he's saying, guys, listen, I'm the most important person because I'm God. And so Judas and his cohorts, whoever those guys were, couldn't see that. Why do you think they couldn't see that? Because they were too consumed with the worship of themselves. Judas said what he said for his own gain. Judas did what he did to fulfill his own lust. Judas thought what he thought for his own benefit, which showed the object of Judas's worship was not Jesus It was actually himself as the creature. And so notice, lastly, the resources of worship. The resources for worship. So we're to worship God, which means we honor him with all we are and all he gives us. And look at verse 8. This is very profound. The scripture says, Jesus says, She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, In the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Look at that first phrase in verse 8. She has done what she could. I mean, Jesus was teaching that she looked at the resources she had. She says, what do I have? How can I use it? And she used those to worship Jesus Christ. Do you think it ever passed through her mind at any point? Are people going to be critical of me if I do this? You think it maybe like, I mean, think about it. Like if you have a jar that's worth like $46,000 in your room, 
It's basically like a savings account, right? And you're thinking, I'm going to like give this all the way to Jesus. Don't you think some people might have thought, like she might have thought, oh, people are going to be critical of this, but she didn't care. She, she knew that Jesus was worth it. She joyfully worshiped Jesus with that gift. And, and that's what God tells us to do, to look at the resources that he has given to us, to see, see what God, what have you given to me? And how can I worship you with what you give me? First, second Corinthians eight, two talks about the churches in Macedonia who were, who were poor, had, had much affliction taking place. They heard about their brothers in Jerusalem who, who were in a famine. And, and they said, the Bible says in verse two, it says for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy so they're going to give out of joy, even though they were extremely in poverty and, and, and overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Look at verse 3 on the screen. For they gave according to their means. In other words, what God gave them. They're like, what do we have? But we, we need to help those people. And he said, I can testify beyond their means of their own accord. And God calls us to look at the resources we have and to give Back to him. And how much should that be? How much should that be? Can you get out give God? What, re, what resources are we talking about? Automatically, our minds go towards $46,000 flask money. We think about that, right? And that definitely is a part of it. There's also, there's also other resources God has given to us. He's given us gifts and abilities. He's given us time, which maybe is one of the most valuable resources we have. He's given us opportunities. He's given us voices to sing and hands to work. He's given us words to spread his message. But the most valuable thing God has given to us is our lives. And that's what he asks us to give back to him. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, think about the first 11 chapters and everything God has done for you in Romans. And based upon the mercies, the work of God, then you give yourself as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's worship right there. So we are to give ourselves to God. God has given us so much, hasn't he? As Christians, God has blessed us with the inheritance of Christ. That's pretty amazing. If you don't know what that means, probably should study it because it's pretty amazing. As Americans, God has given us so much. We're, we're fat with stuff in America. We're obese with stuff in America. Sometimes literally obese with stuff in America. So... And, and, and we, we, we think about all the stuff we have, and we can be so stingy with what the grace of God, with what God has done for us. Like, oh, I'm going to keep that to myself. Like, I got the grace from my, God for myself. But even all the other things God has given us, we're just so stingy. We're so selfish in America as Christians. So, so how should you worship God? Look at what you have. And you might be like Mary. And honestly, you might have $46,000 flask. And you're like, maybe that's something I can give to the Lord. Maybe you have a lot like that. What if you don't have a lot? What if you're a child in here? You're like, all I have is $10 in my piggy bank at home. Should you give to God? I've heard sometimes pastors say, well, only give if you can, if you can give. 
That's terrible. That's terrible. That's wrong. Every one of us has been given gifts and abilities and resources from God. We should give back to the Lord. He's done so much for us. Remember, back to Mark chapter 12 and verse 44, there's, there's the lady, the, old, the widow lady who is very poor in the temple. And thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are taking gifts and pouring it in the treasuries there. And she just comes and she drops in a couple coins there. And Jesus commends her. Why? Because she gave from what she had. When I was in junior high, in high school, my brother and I had a mowing business. And uh, my dad would drive us around before we could drive, drive us around, drop us off at these different apartments. We would mow them. And we were to take this money and use it to, you know, pay for camp and, you know, sports equipment and things like that. And, but my dad set up as a rule that when we got our check, that we had to give 10% to the Lord and then a percentage to him. You know, it was his truck, his vehicle, and he was our father. So taught us about taxes and things like that, I guess. But I can remember taking some of that money that I was supposed to give to the Lord and going to church, you know, that the 10 or 20 or whatever it was and, and putting it in the offering and thinking, oh, I hate doing this. <laughs> like, what a waste. Like, and, and thinking about that $20, I'm like, I could totally buy something really cool with that, you know? And, and feeling like really maybe like God has robbed me a little bit. Like he's taking something from me. That's mine. Like I actually remember sweating out there in the field mowing that grass. But, but as I look back at it now, I recognize what a wicked perspective I had. All that money was God's. Like he gave us the resources. He gave us the energy. He gave us the life. Everything we had is from the Lord. And actually the book of Malachi says if we don't give to God, you're actually robbing God, not the other way around. And as I got older and I matured, I recognized that all the things I have are God's and he's done so much for me. And the more you kind of realize, wow, Lord, what you've given to me and what through, through Christ and even the resources I have, I, I have to give it to you. I, I want to give it to you. I actually take joy in giving it to you. And the more that you recognize how much God has loved you, the more you're overwhelmed by his love and you give to him in in love. You see, I heard someone say this once that, I think I've said this to you guys before, that you can give and not love, but it's impossible not to love and not give. If you love God, you will give. That is actually the definition of love. And as, as a young person, as I became a mature in the Lord and, and actually became a believer and then matured in the Lord, I recognized the importance of that and I made a commitment. I'm going to give 10% of my income to the Lord. Then Dana and I got married. We made a commitment. We're going to give 10% of the Lord. And there were times when it was hard. I remember six months into our marriage when I was making a hefty $10 and 50 cents an hour. She was in school, wasn't working. And uh, I cut my thumb off, had an accident. So then for four months, I'm out of work and I get half of that pay. Those are times when you're kind of tested in your commitments. Are you going to give to the Lord? But we decided to still do it because we recognized a couple of things. God's the one who provides for us. It's not that 10, 15 hour, you know, subtracted, divided by two now. But actually, he's the one who provides. And I still need to give in thanksgiving to him. And I'm so glad we did. And the Lord took care of us. Now, when we talk about this as a pastor, you talk about this, people get nervous. You know, it's like, can you believe he's talking about money? But can I tell you, I don't care about your money. I don't care about your resources. But I do, I do care about your worship. Like, 
Singing is worship. And, and reading and, and the scriptures and praying is worship. But when you go to the back and you drop, that's actually, when you drop your money back there, that's actually worship. And what you do with your resources of your time and of your opportunities, and that's worship. And the question is not if you are worshiping. The question is, who are you worshiping? A worshiper of Christ honors Christ as he or she gives what, what they have, all of who they are, with all that Christ has given to them. And Judas, he was a religious person. Right? Everyone thought, this is a good guy here. But Judas wasn't transformed by the gospel. He worshipped himself. And that's why, if you look at verse 10, we see what happened at the very end there. Judas betrays Jesus. Why? Because he wanted some money. Why did Judas do what he did? Why did he betray Jesus? Some say it's greed. Some say it's money. And yes, those are descriptions of his heart of lust. But those just describe actually how he worshipped himself which was his true problem. And friends, let me just tell you, if you live your life like Judas, if you live your life for yourself and replace yourself with God, you will face the end of Judas. What was the end of Judas? Look down in verse 21. Jesus says, Woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. That's Judas. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. Why is that? Because Judas faced the judgment of God in eternity, separated from God forever in hell. What did Judas need? He needed to be transformed by the gospel and the spirit of God so he could be a worshiper of Christ. And if you're without Christ in here, let me invite you to come to him, experience the grace and the work of Christ in your life, and when you do, when, you, when Christ works in your life, then you will respond in worship to him. We are to be worshipers of Christ, honoring Christ in response to what he has done for us. With all we are and all he has given to us. Let's pray. As I go into prayer right now, if you are a person in here and God is working in your heart in such a way that maybe you, you don't know Christ and you you recognize today you need to come to him. Let me invite you to, to call out to him. Trust in him this morning. I would love to talk to you after the service. If you would have a need or some kind of spiritual um, struggle you're going through, I'd love to point you to Jesus Christ. And, and believers in here, it's good for us at this time to evaluate our own hearts. Are we living lives of worship to Christ? As Christians, are we responding to his work in our life by honoring him with all we are, with the resources he has given us? Let's pray. Father, we confess as believers in our son and your son, Jesus Christ, we confess that we, we are not who we should be. We are redeemed by you. We are forgiven. We are accepted in Christ. We still struggle with going back to the old life, to going back to the old life of, of self, to going back to the old ways of sin. And we're sorry. 
when we do that, Lord. We don't want to reject you. Oh God, you've done so much for us. You have sent your son. You, Jesus, went through the pain of suffering on our behalf for our sin. You you faced hell on that cross. Thank you for that. So give us the grace to, to move forward in true worship of you. And then, God, I pray for anyone in here without Christ, I pray they'll come to to you today. In Jesus' name.